Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors. Good to have you with us here today. If you're new visiting, checking us out, great that you could be here today. Um, if this is your home, you come in, good to see you as well. Thanks for being here today. As we begin our, uh, our major series of the year, looking at the book of Mark, we titled it King and Cross, walking through to see who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark. Um, before we dive in, I'm going to talk to God again and ask that he would be working in your hearts and, in, and in through me to speak the truth of his word to you. So uh, let's pray together. Father, this morning here, it's not an accident that we are here. That you have brought each of us here to speak to us where we are at. You know our hearts. You know what we're thinking right now. You know what we're, our thoughts are of you. You know um, how we feel towards you. And so you've, you've brought us here to speak to us, maybe for the first time, the hundredth time, the millionth time, whatever it is. And we want to ask that your word to us, your voice to us, would refresh our soul. That we would sit still and be still before you and hear our loving Creator's voice. You know the words we need to hear this morning. And so we ask that we would hear them. For weeks that we've had, for moments we've had, for weeks ahead that we fear, we ask that you would just help them just to dissipate in this moment so we can sit at our King's feet and listen. Lord, your word is what our soul needs, even if we don't feel that right now. Lord, make that true. Use me as your servant to speak your word truthfully. Lord, above all, we just want to see Jesus this morning. We want to see him, treasure him, and honor him as our king. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, um, if you know someone, or if you know who someone is, it changes the way you see and relate to them. You know, I'm pretty sure you've seen it before where a, um, uh, a small toddler will try and run around amongst tall legs and they'll grab a leg and they'll look up and they'll realize it's not their parents' legs and they freak out and then try and search really fast to try and find that leg that is their dad's or their mum's. See, if the toddler knows and sees when their parents' leg, they relate to them as their parent. When it's not their parent, they think, scary, get out of here. If you know someone, it changes the way you see and relate to them. I remember back to uh, Bible college. I started Bible college in 2007. I can remember walking on campus the first day and feeling like it was my very first day of school all over again. Uh, I had my, had my little lunch, a big lunch packed. No, I didn't. Um, it was going on to campus. And I'd walk through. I knew nobody. I knew absolutely nobody. And uh, I made it through the first class. And uh, at, at, at college, Bible college, you have lunch together in a big communal hall to try and build community. And so I remember finishing getting through the first class and walking through the hall and not knowing where to sit and fearing that I'd sit somewhere in a big third year to go, hey, that's my seat, mate. That doesn't happen, <laughs> doesn't happen at Bible college, but I just thought in my head that might happen. Anyway, I found a table where there was no one at all, so I thought, great, I'll sit here. And then people could go to come and sit at my table to talk to me. Great selfish attitude. Anyway, I'm sitting there and a few guys come and sit with me. And then I, a guy came and sat down. His name was Tim. And Tim and I started chatting and we got on really well. And in my head, I'm thinking, wow, I've, I've made a friend. I've made my first friend. Katie's going to be so proud of me. I'll go home and tell her. I've made a friend, Katie. 
I've had a friend at school. Um, everyone talking, and I'm thinking, this is great. I thought we, I had it planned in my head. We can be study friends, and we can sit next to each other in class, and I'll finally have a friend to talk to. And we keep chatting, and um, so I said this question to him. I said, hey, Tim, how's the first few days of college been for you? And he looks at me and says, oh, no, I'm not a student here. I'm a lecturer. And I'm, like, betrayed. I was crushed. He has to talk to me because he's paid to. I felt just like he's not my friend and why do I waste time on you? And then it just got, oh, really? I've quit college. I'm out of here. And just, uh, uh, but I had, I had my expectation of, of him was wrong because I didn't know who he was. And so I related to him like a friend, but actually he, was, he worked there. I'm not a big movie watcher at all. Uh, my movies now revolve around watch movies that are PG or animated, which is fine for me because I love that. But one of my favourite all-time uh, uh, movies is, is Aladdin. And I know, I'm sure you know the story, but in the, one of the storylines is where uh, Princess, the princess of the movie, Princess Jasmine, she wants to be free and from the confines of, of being a, a princess and of the castle. And so she dresses up as a commoner and walks the streets pretending to be someone that she isn't, pretending to be a commoner. And she wets where she meets Aladdin, who himself is a commoner as well. And they meet and they relate to each other on the same level, as if they're just normal common people. Um, and, and Aladdin really likes her, like every normal, that normal everyday person. Then, then uh, Aladdin is arrested or he's arrested and the princess reveals who she is, that she is the princess with this power. And as soon as the people see that and Aladdin sees that, he bows in reverence to her, knowing it's the right response, the right way to respond to royalty. He knows that she has, she has power, she, has, uh, she is to be treated with respect and honor and to be feared. She can grant freedom, she can take it away. And so he respects her and treats her appropriately because he realizes who she is. When you realize who someone is and what they, uh, realize what, uh, who someone is, it affects how you treat them and how you respond to them. Today we kick off the Gospel of Mark. And really the whole purpose of Mark writing this gospel is to show you who Jesus is so you relate to him appropriately. He wants to show you who, Mark, who, who Jesus is, who he truly is, so that affects how you relate to him. Mark wants to show that, he is, that Jesus is the long-awaited king who has been promised, who is the Lord, who comes to bring freedom, who comes to bring hope, who comes to save people from their sin by dying on a cross. And Mark will again, through this book, confront you with who Jesus is, his identity. And again and again, he's going to ask you the question through the voices of the crowds, who do you say I am? Who do you believe I am? What do you, who do you think Jesus is? And Mark won't let you off the hook. The, the book will keep challenging you again and again to make up your mind on where you stand with Jesus. Is he who he says he is or not? He won't leave you sitting on the fence. You know, the great writer C.S. Lewis puts it, when you meet the Jesus of the Bible, he's either one of three things. He's either a liar, he's either the Lord, or he is either lunatic. They're the options that you have when you meet Jesus. Liar, Lord, or lunatic. He, claims, he doesn't claim to be a famous teacher. He doesn't claim to be a wise man. He claims to be the king of the universe. And where do you stand with that? This is what Mark will show us through his book. And once you make your mind up on who he is, it then shapes how you live, how you relate to him. If you believe he is the king, you will trust, you will follow, you will live from obey him, run to him for hope, run to him for forgiveness and for life. If you think that he isn't, if his claims are false, you ignore him and his kingship over your life. 
the question Mark is going to ask you is, who do you think Jesus is? And this is not a peripheral question, it is the central question that this Mark, Mark is going to ask us for us to work through. It's worth, as we jump into this book, we're going to spend at least, sorry, at least, we are spending 19 weeks in this book. It's sort of the major book we're going to go through, and it's worth thinking about how the book is put together by Mark. Who is Mark? Why did he write it? How does it all fit together? That's super helpful for us to work through if we're going to really figure out and get the most out of this book. So I could get up here and talk to you for a bit. I'm not going to. I'm going to pass to my good friends at the Bible Project to watch a video to show you the book of Mark. So there's the, uh, there's the Bible Project's take on the Gospel of Mark, which I think is helpful to understand the structure of the book. We're going to spend a lot of time in this book as a church. It's worth to know how it's put together, what Mark's purpose is, so we get the most out of it when we read it. So we read that uh, the, the person, Mark, who is Mark, his name would be John Mark, a co-worker of the Apostle Paul, a friend of Peter. So much so, it's probably talked about the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's Gospel. So it's actually him um, uh, the, taking the eyewitness accounts of Peter and putting it all together in a Gospel. And we read in the very first sentences, these guys were saying, the aim and the purpose of the whole book is almost this banner that hangs over the whole book, which reads this. The beginning of the good news of the, go- of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's sort of this whole banner that hangs over the book. And now this is super interesting because this is the only time really that Mark is going to give his own opinion on who Jesus is. It's sort of his, his input to the book. And then from there, he's going to set up eyewitness accounts and stories of Jesus and things that Jesus said and try and show you, convince you why he believes that this is true. And so as you heard, there's basically two parts of the book. There's two halves, chapters 1 to 8, 9 to 16 are the two halves. The first half of the book, 1 to 8, is really about who Jesus is, his identity. He is a long-awaited king, the Messiah, the Christ, that really the whole world has been waiting for. And uh, we're going to read then, Mark says this, and he'll show that why that is true. So miracles, healings, things that Jesus said, affirming that Jesus is this Messiah. And really through the book, again, you're going to read of all these accounts of people saying, who is this man? Is this man the Christ? Is the one we've been waiting for? And Mark asking us the question, do we believe it? Second half of the book, 9 to 16, is pretty much Jesus-based heading towards dying on the cross. And this is all about how Jesus becomes or fulfills this this role as the King, as the Messiah, as the Christ, and how He becomes the eternal King by dying and rising again for the sins of the world. And really, uh, you get this key sort of sentence in as as they were saying, Mark ten forty five. I think sums up the second half, which really which says this: for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. That is Jesus' mission when He comes to earth. And so we've titled the first section, The King, the second section, The Cross, hence where we get the title, King and Cross. Um, And that's what we're trying to get to in this series. And really, our hope is, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we want to show you who Jesus is and that He is worth following. And as a church, we want to go back to our first love, Jesus, and not forsake that and know that we, we need to be founded upon Him and His grace and His mercy. And I want to encourage you, really, I've been working on this, this talk just for this week. I've loved being in Mark already. I want to encourage you to make the most of this series. It's so cool to be back in the gospel again, looking at the life of Jesus. Make the most of this series. 
be here each Sunday, be it small group. We're going to have a bunch of Barbary notes. We'll go through the whole book of Mark for you and ask you questions day by day of how to get of, of things that are being said. So think deeply about this. Buy that book, King's Cross, a great book by Tim Keller as he walks through Mark's gospel. But I want to say, let's be a church that gets back to our first love and enjoys knowing Jesus again. That's what we're going to do this series. But today we are looking at, uh, as Mark did before, uh, just the first 13 sentences of Mark's gospel. We're going to kick it off. And I'm going to make uh, three observations as we walk through this. They're there on the screen behind me. Uh, Mark's claim or the claim, then his proof, and then we read the confirmation of what he's saying. So the claim, the proof, the confirmation. Let's have a look again at sentence one of Mark 1, the very beginning, the, first, the very first words that Mark said, says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we see here at the very beginning, Mark's going to come and tell us what he's writing about. The next 19 chapters are about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and saying that this man is real, he lived 2,000 years ago, and he walked in real time in the Middle East. But Mark wants to show he's no ordinary man, and he wants to get to the identity of Jesus straight away. He wants to show you three things in this sentence here, three things straight away he wants to tell you about Jesus. Firstly, the arrival of Jesus is good news. This word good news or gospel, it actually means joyful news. It's a celebration. It's it's, it's exciting news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that this is worth celebrating that he has come, that Jesus has come, and Mark will unpack that more. Second thing Mark says is that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, it's not Jesus Christ. His name is not last name. is not Christ. It's not Mr. Christ. Christ is titled. It's who he is. So some translators will put it, uh, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, Messiah or Christ, same sort of idea. And this word Christ or Christos in the Greek is really this word for an anointed royal figure. It's a way of referring to this Messiah. In Jewish thought, this Messiah would come and would bring freedom for the captives, would bring freedom for the Israelites who have been oppressed for so many years. And this, this Messiah would come and bring God's rule on earth again, and God's reign, and bring peace. And there was this one Messiah who they were waiting for for thousands of years to come and rescue them as a people. And the Messiah of this Christ was not just a king in a line of kings, this was the king, the one they were waiting for, the promised king they were hoping and longing for. So this is a huge deal that Mark is appointing or saying, hey, the one we've been waiting for, he's arrived, he's here. This is the one we've we've hoped for. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's who he is. Mark doesn't stop there. He goes another step further. He's another title for the name of Jesus, and he calls him the Son of God. So he's claiming he is not only the king, but he's also divine. He's also the divine one. That's who Jesus is, the divine king, the divine Messiah. Jesus is the son of the one true God. That is who he is. Royalty has arrived. The king has come, and this is joyful news because he's going to bring freedom for his people. So that very first sentence there, Mark is setting all this up and saying, get ready because this is going to happen. I'm going to show you why I believe this, and this is good news for all people. It's a huge claim that he's making about Jesus. When I was thinking this week about huge claims, um, someone came to mind, I think there's no one better than making huge claims than this man here on the screen. The famous boxer, Muhammad Ali, one of the most famous athletes of the 20th century. 
He became an amateur boxer at the age of 12. At the age of 18, he won a gold medal in the 1960 Olympics. At the age of 22, won his first heavyweight boxing title. He's spoken of as the best heavyweight boxer of all time. He was an incredible athlete. But almost as good as a boxer he was, what was almost better than that was his mouth, the way he spoke. If you saw any of his pre-match things that he said, he was brilliant at trash talking. He was brilliant at rhyming poetry. And he captured everyone. He created this show when he boxed. And some of the things he said were so good. I had a look at him this week, and and uh, I'll read some out what he said. He said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. He says, it's hard to be humble when you're as good as I am. I love this one. He says, if you even dream of beating me, you'd better wake up and apologize. (laughs) Oh, man, that is good. That is good. I love that, right? And then this last one, which I like, he said, it's not bragging if you can back it up. Interesting, right? It's not bragging if you can back it up. And I find that one super interesting because Ali did back it up. Uh, he claimed to be one of the greatest boxers, and he goes down in history as one of the greats. If you claim something, you'd better back it up or you're just a, a, an absolute liar. You need proof to back up your claims. You know, Mark comes out of the blocks pretty, pretty hard here, and he's claiming that Jesus is the divine Messiah, this king that's been waiting for thousands of years. He's the son of God. Huge claim that he starts straight away. He's going to come bring freedom. And really the rest of Mark's gospel is going to back up what he said to give you proof to realize that this is true, what he's saying about Jesus. And he begins by offering proof in sentences 2 to 8. Let me show you this. Let me read this for you. It says this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messengers before, you, before your face, my messenger before your face, sorry, who will prepare your, uh, your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, that's John the Baptist, John appeared baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so Mark has made these huge claims in sentence 1, and he's going to try and back up and show you why he says that. And he starts with sentences 2 and 3, and he goes back to an ancient prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and Malachi 3, of the Old Testament, saying that God will send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself, when God, the the Lord, would appear to rescue his people and become their king. And this prophecy says a messenger will come, will come ahead of this, this king, or will come ahead of God himself, and he will come and prepare the way for the Lord. So Israel were waiting for this messenger first. They knew the Messiah was coming at some point, but first must come the messenger. Then the Lord himself, and Mark introduces John the Baptist as that messenger, getting the people ready for the Lord's coming. And John is the one who will speak, saying, get ready. So the next person to come must be the king himself, must be the Lord, must be God. That's what Mark's trying to show us here. And then who shows up after John the Baptist? Well, Jesus does. 
So Mark is showing us that as, as the Old Testament promised, first John and now the God himself, and that is Jesus. So John is now claiming that not only is Jesus the Son of God, he is God himself. He is the Lord. He is come in the flesh. This King, this Messiah, this Christ who would defeat Israel is also the Lord himself. They are one and the same person, and their name is Jesus. And again, this, this is a huge claim that I don't actually think we feel the weight of when you read this. If you're an Israelite person, you read this, you go, this is no way. That's ridiculous. You can't say that they're the one person. That God would not come, become flesh. But this is what Mark is saying. That God himself is here, and his name is Jesus. And Mark points to the Old Testament as proof, saying that God had always planned this. This is not an accident. That God promised this in Isaiah and Malachi. And now he is here. God has arrived, just as he'd spoken about. Let me read in Genesis 4 to 8 there of this messenger, John, who is making the way for the Lord. And John's calling people to turn to him and get ready. And John knows his role. It's not about John or his ministry. It's about the one coming after him. And do you read what John says about this one coming after, how amazing he will be? He says, he's mightier than I. He even says that I am so unworthy of him. He's in such a different league that I can't even bend down and touch his stinky, dirty sandals. That's how amazing, that's how far above removed royal this figure is. This is not just another preacher, not just another wise man or religious leader. This one coming is just far above anyone else. And he even says there at the end, that this, I baptize with water, this one coming, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He can administer and point the Holy Spirit to go into people's lives and change hearts. That is so much his power and his authority. This is Mark trying to show us again of who Jesus is. And Mark will show us that this powerful one to come is not this invincible warrior who defeats his enemies with a sword, but rather he comes and defeats the greatest enemy of sin and death and Satan and will die a powerless death on a cross to bring freedom. That is Jesus. And this is the Jesus that Mark wants you to know. You know in life, I think um, expectations around certain things are super important, aren't they? And they can affect our experience. Like, you know, if you go, um, you might see a friend who's just seen a movie, like Mark saw a movie this, this uh, the night. You know, just say a friend comes and sees this movie and says, hey, I saw this movie. It is the best movie I've ever seen. You're going to love it. You need to see the movie. It's incredible. And uh, so, you know, they think, okay, I should see it. Now, when you walk into that movie, you're going to think, this thing better be the best thing ever or I am out. Like, you know, the expectations are built up so high that, uh, that they'll probably disappoint you. Expectations, right? Recently, uh, my family and I, we got a new car. Well, not a new car, a second-hand car. We did research for a while and tried to find a new car for our families. Our family is getting bigger and taller. And uh, like me, I think my son will be quite tall. And so we thought we needed a bigger car. And so we went big. We went Kia Carnival big. And uh, people mover. And for me, as I've mentioned before, as I, uh, when I get new things and I buy new things, I'm always worried that it's going to disappoint me, that it's not going to be as good as I'd hoped or wanted. Expectations, right? But the great thing for me and my family is we've driven around a Subaru Forester 2002 for a long time that stinks, that is dirty, and it's just the windows don't work anymore, so you get really hot in the car, the power windows, just, they're broken. And so my kids' expectations of what a car should be like are quite low. And so... Um, <laughs> 
And so when we got our carnival, they think it's like a Ferrari. They are just loving this. They're so proud that we don't say to their friends, hey, hey, look at my car. I'm like, it's a carnival, kids. Just chill out a little bit. No, it's not that great. And uh, they are windows up, windows down, having a great time in the car. And uh, I love it too. So my expectations were met because it is a great car. My kids aren't fighting anymore because you can separate them in the car. They don't have to sit next to each other. I can put them in the back and can't hear them at all when they fight. It's like we're in different cars. It's brilliant. But I love my carnival. I have no regrets. My expectations were met. Uh, And it's great when you have expectations about something and actually they are met. It's a great feeling. You know, Mark here, as you read here, Mark has come out of the gate strong. He has claimed that Jesus is the king who brings freedom, the son of God. He is God himself who directs the, the Holy Spirit. That are, they are huge claims. And he's pointed to the Old Testament as proof of that this is true. These are huge expectations on this man, Jesus. Will he live up to them? Can he meet them? Well, in sentence 9... He arrives, Jesus arrives on the scene with these big expectations on his shoulders and we see that these claims are confirmed. Let me show you 9 to 13. It says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, so he comes on the scene now, he comes from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, which said, you're my, son, my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus arrives, first thing happens, he is baptized by John at the river. Now Mark doesn't go into the details of why that happened, or why did, Mark, did John know, or whatever. That's not Mark's point here. He's not worried about that. The Gospel of Mark moves quick. And he focuses on one thing, and he wants to show you who Jesus is. That's his point. And he wants, to sh- he wants you to hear the confirmation of God the Father. Since 11, we hear of God the Father giving the confirmation of what Mark has been saying about Jesus. Do you see it there? It says, this is, so Jesus is, this is my beloved Son. With Him, I am well pleased. So here we have God's confirmation, God the Father's confirmation of what Mark has been saying around who Jesus is. He is the divine Son of God who has come to earth. He is God in the flesh to bring freedom from sin and death. That is who Jesus is. He has arrived. And this is what the whole Bible has been leading up to, the coming in the flesh of God to rescue His people. And the Bible says this is good news This is freedom from sin and shame and death and hell. These are all the things that are happening here with the arrival of Jesus. This is why it's called the gospel, the joyful news. And here we also see, it's such a big deal, the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead is that, if you notice that. It's the God the Father enveloping His Son in love, confirming who He is. We have the Son present, about to begin His mission to the rescue of the world. Then the Holy Spirit is there, is covering Jesus with power. The whole Godhead is there celebrating this moment of redemption has begun. Redeeming the world. He is here. And I love what you get in sentence 10, this language of what is happening when Jesus comes out of the water. It says here, I don't know if you notice, the heavens are torn apart. It's not like just a voice came from heaven. No, the heavens are ripped apart. And it's this language of um, the heavens breaking loose, of God, of the celebrating this king has come, the barriers between God and humanity being broken down. 
Because the Redeemer is here. He is on the scene. He is in our midst. And this is no small thing. The Creator of the universe has come. He has come down to, to bring freedom. And He's confined Himself to a human body. This idea of God becoming man in any other religion is ridiculous. Every other religion, God is distant. You cannot approach Him. When it comes to the Bible, God is not distant. He's not unapproachable. He became human out of a great love for us to rescue us, to become like us, to be our representative on the cross, to pay for our sin in our place. God is near. He has come. And this is the God we worship. The king has arrived and his name is Jesus. And straight after we get this confirmation, at the very end, the Spirit takes the Jesus out into the desert, into a battle, where he faces his enemy head on for 40 days. Head on. And he does not buckle. He does not give in. He does not waver. He does not succumb to the Satan's temptation. In his, in his absolute weakness, in the human frailty, in the desert, with wild animals, it says that he does not buckle. He is the powerful son of God. He will not fail his mission. He will not give in and he will succeed on coming and bringing God's rule and freedom to his people. That is who Jesus is. And this is the Jesus that Mark wants all of us to know and to rejoice over. So for the next eight chapters, Mark's going to show you of this. That Jesus is the central character and he's desperate for us to know who he is. I guess that's the question. Right? As, we, as we look at this book over and over again, the question that you're going to get asked by God prompting you by the Holy Spirit is, who is Jesus? Do you know him? Because we can sit here and go, yeah, I've heard that, Gav. I know that. We can all know that. Satan knows that. The question is, do you know him? We can know about him, facts about him. We can hear things about Jesus. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? You know, the, the amazing thing is that you can know him. You know, today, today this, this, this word of God is not just a thousand years ago. This is true today. His word is living and active. And God, by his Holy Spirit, as Mark was saying before, is here as we gather as his people. We can meet him. We can meet this risen Lord King Jesus who reigns now over all things today. We can still meet him and know him. And he's calling us to know him, to trust him, to rest in his love, to, to, to rest in his forgiveness and his grace. And this new identity is given you in him. Today he's calling you to know his deep, freeing love that he has for you. And this is, this is for everyone. No matter if you're feeling close to God or not, distant or not, no, you've been walking away from him for the last year or so, whatever it is. He's calling you to come to know him. Remember who he is. He's the king, the judge, the son of God, the giver of the Holy Spirit. This one, this one is calling you personally to come to him. He wants you to know the freedom, the, the, the grace, the mercy, the freedom from shame, the freedom from sin, the freedom from death, the fear of death that has lost its hold because of Christ. He's coming to know this joy that is found ultimately and only in him. The question that Mark asks you, that God asks you, that I'm asking you is, do you know him? Do you know him? And if you know him, if you follow him, I want to encourage you to grow deeper in that. 
to go to your first love, to abide in Him, to continue to meet Him, to rest in Him, to, to, to experience the, the, the joy that is found in knowing your Creator and living forever in eternity. I want to say you can never know Him enough or fully or feel like, yeah, I've arrived, I got it. You're in a relationship with Him through His death. I want to encourage you to keep going to Him, knowing Him more and more and more. I think my experience of my Christian life is as I've walked in my faith more and more and more, the little I realize how much I actually know God. How there's so much more to know about Him and enjoy Him and experience Him. This is what we're made for. And this is where peace and joy and fulfillment is found. And I want to say, make the most of this series. Meet with your King. Answer the question that Mark is asking all of us. Do we know him? I want together be a church and a people who know Jesus and worship him as he deserves for, our glory, for his glory and our joy. Let's go and meet with our first love. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you so much for the gospel of Mark. And Lord, just on my heart right now, I want to pray for us who feel like that we've read the Gospel of Mark before, who feel like we've read Gospels before and we've heard things like this before and that we've grown cold to it. Lord, do a new work in our heart. Revive our spirit. Help us to never grow cold to the good news of the Gospel. Lord, it's often hard for us to experience what the first century readers would have read when they heard this word. We want to pray that you would give us that excitement again. That as we've heard here that the King has come, that Jesus, that you are sitting on your throne reigning supreme and that you've come to rescue us, Lord, help us to want to, to, want to know that, to experience that, to enjoy the freedom that is found in you, to come to, to meet with you. I know there are, there are some of us here today who feel just cold and distant from you, who the worries of the world are choking us, who often feel like that you have forsaken us or forgotten us. And our lives often feel chaotic and all over the shop, and it's not what we'd planned or hoped. And it feels like you are not there. We're going to pray, Lord, that those feelings will be overcome with the truth that you are there, that you've come. You have made all things new, and you are making all things new. We want to pray, Lord, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to come to you, to know the freedom that is found in you, to worship Jesus as our King, and help us to encourage one another in that task, in that, in that relationship that we have found in you, to be people who run to our first love. We want to thank you so much for Jesus, our King and our Savior and our friend. We pray in his name. Amen.